Maybe the sun gave me the power For I could swim Loch Lomond and be home in half an hour Maybe the air gave me the drive For I'm all aglow and alive What a day this has been What a rare mood I'm in Why, it's almost like being in love There's a smile on my face For the whole human race Why, it's almost like being in love All the music of life seems to be Like a bell that is I would swear I was falling, I could swear I was falling, it's almost like being in love. Hello and welcome to Broadway Radios this week on Broadway for Sunday, December 9, 2018. My name is James Marino, and in the broadcast today we have Peter Felicia and Michael Portantier. Peter is a theater journalist and historian with a number of books. His most recent is The Great Parade, which is available everywhere. His columns appear at MTI, Masterworks, Broadway, Broadway Select, and many of the places. Good morning, Peter. Good morning. Good morning. Peter, have you been scooped up for 18 additional sessions at BroadwayCon coming up in January? No, just one. Um... David Winters has written a book, and uh, I'll be talking to him about his experiences going back to West Side Story and beyond. So uh, so that'll happen. And a lot of West Side Story stuff in the news these days. Isn't that true? Yeah, indeed. Uh, so maybe he'll have some opinions on that, too. <laughs> Excellent. Also with us is uh, West Side Story Afinicio, as I might refer to him. <laughs> Michael Portantier is a theater reviewer and essayist and also knows a lot about West Side Story. He is also a theatrical photographer whose photos have appeared in the New York Times and other major publications. You could see his photography work at filespotphotos.com. Good morning, Michael. Good morning. Michael, do you have a favorite production of West Side Story? Hmm. Well, I... I think I let's see would it still be no uh, years ago there was one I saw at the Jones Beach Marine Theater oh. that I mentioned before uh, and for years that was my favorite production with Christine Andreas oh. as Maria and Barry Williams from the Brady Bunch as Tony oh. and it was really really good uh, in more recent years there have been some other wonderful productions that one they did at um, in Queens at that was the really large one uh, uh, it was that that site specific yeah. one at a foundry in in Queen. That was a really really good one, and uh, a few others that I've seen that have been really excellent. It's kind of this uh, national search for the Maria. You know, uh, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. They, 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 you know, the Sound of Music hit a hit it gold with a national search for Maria a number of years back. So you know, <laughs> a different maybe, Maria, yeah. <laughs> so maybe this will find the similar success here. As I mentioned at the top of the show, we are going to be appearing at Broadway Con Saturday, January twelfth at 11.15 a.m. in the Sutton Center Room. So we're going to do a variation of This Week on Broadway Live uh, and uh, talk a little bit about the upcoming season and do a little bit of um, Q&A with uh, people that are there. So it's important that we have people that are there. So uh, sign up for BroadwayCon and, uh, and join our session. The three of us got a chance to see Network at the, uh, is that the Blasco? Where is it? 
Mm-hmm. Yes. Yes, at the Belasco. And uh, I'm trying to think of that outdoor scene down uh, down the street there. But so, Peter, why don't you start us off with Network? Tell us what you thought about it. Well, I got to say, if I were Lee Hall, the guy who adapted this script, I would be ashamed to take the money because um, what he's mm-hmm. really done is put the uh, movie on stage. There's very little Lee Hall, <clears throat> and there's a good deal of um, Patty Chayefsky, who won an Oscar for a script, and deservedly so. It's a tremendous movie. Um, and so, I mean, people uh, who are Academy Awards junkies are always complaining about Ernest Lehman getting a nomination for Who's Afraid of Virginia Woolf? Because what did he do? I mean, he took out a few lines. Uh, he, he moved a scene to a, a, a restaurant and that was basically it. I think this is the same type of thing. Um, Now, what I do think Lee Hall should get is a finder's fee in the sense that he decided that we needed to see this property again and this was the way to do it. So, okay, I'm all set there because I think it's really quite powerful and it's amazing to see how prescient um, Paddy Chayefsky was way back when in 1975-6 when he was writing this. So, because we're really talking about something that anticipated uh, people being crazy as a Fox network um, really does this very well. And um, it's, as many of you know, uh, because I'm sure you've seen the movie, it is the story of Howard Beale, who is canned from the network. And um, what's surprising to me is they do let him uh, have like two weeks to um, go off. And um, so he says he's going to commit suicide. And this causes such a, a cause celeb that uh, Diana Christensen, who works with the network, uh, decides that uh, maybe something can be made of this, uh, that maybe he should get his own program. And so uh, he does. And, of course, um, it comes out with that famous expression that uh, people have used ever since 1976. And <laughs> it certainly applies now. I'm mad as hell and I'm not going to take this anymore. It's often misquoted as I'm not going to take it anymore. But if we're going to be really specific and correct, I'm not going to take this anymore. So everybody expects that when uh, one sees um, Network. But there were so many other lines that really refer to today, the destructive power of absolute belief. I mean, that's really a good line about what happens today because we know a lot of voters who absolutely believe uh, what they hear um, on certain networks is, um, well, one certain network is absolutely true. They're convinced, convinced, you know, all this other stuff that's going on, especially this week that we heard and what's coming down. Well, no, I mean, please. And none of it, none of it is true because they absolutely believe they cannot admit that they are wrong. So, and so as soon as we start believing in absolutes, we stop believing in human beings goes one line. I think that's true too. Terrorists are roaming the streets. We tell you just what you want to hear. Democracy is a finished product. Woe is us if TV ever falls into the hands of the wrong people. We know things are bad, worse than bad. They're crazy. And (laughs) as I say, crazy as a fox. Network does this very well, very well indeed. And um, it really is startling to see this happen. Well, all right. What about this production? By our favorite uh, Ivo Van Hove. Um, well, uh, much of it works. Um, the stage is um, a unit set, and to, if uh, from a theater goes vantage point, uh, stage left is filled with technicians you know, just doing busy work that happens uh, when a network program is going on. 
stage right from the vantage point of the audience, um, quite different. Uh, somehow people are there eating. Um, now, is this the UBS, that's the network cafeteria? I don't know. Um, there are some scenes uh, taking place over there at a table where people are eating. So I guess this is a restaurant. I don't know. But it does seem that they're very distanced away from uh, the people who are eating. <clears throat> so it, this made no sense to me. All right, what about the middle? All right, so it's a unit set, and, you know, techies run off and, off and on with uh, UBS um, logos on their um, shirts, which, you know, <laughs> that's great. You know, we's, we're so used to actors changing sets and moving scenery around now in between. I mean, that never happened in the old, old, old days, um, but now we're used to it. But here it, it's real. I mean, you know, they can do it because it's a TV set. So um, that all works very, very well, but, but, the scenes where uh, Max Schumacher, who's a, a bigwig at the network, uh, who's in trouble too, and his wife, um, those scenes used to be far more effective in the movie because we saw their sumptuous home, the great monument to his success, etc. And here you lose a lot by just um, seeing it on a, a unit set. But for the most of the time, we are talking about this TV studio, so that's perfectly fine. Uh, there's really no problem there. Lots of video in the background. And for those of us who are of a certain age, meaning an old age, uh, you're going to see a lot of things from way back when. Um, up there, uh, for example, I haven't thought of high karate aftershave um, in years and years, but there's a commercial for it up there. Uh, Mr. Whipple and his toilet paper fetish um, is is shown up there too, and it runs the risk of having you look at the screen more than what's going on live on stage. But I do think that's a point that's being made, that we do tend to uh, be mesmerized by a TV screen, and we really have to pull back our attention. Now, uh, Brian Cranston certainly will take our attention. And what's really great about his performance is that he does not ape Peter Finch's performance at all. Now, Peter Finch won an Oscar, not that he knew about it. I'm sorry that, say, he died before he could get it. But Peter Finch... Uh, really had um, this bombastic madness going on at all times. Brian Cranston is, has more of a quiet and fine madness going on, but it's just as effective. And there's a scene where he does nothing at all for a long, long time. Long, long time means maybe 20 seconds, but 20 seconds is a lot of stage time when nothing's happening. And you see his breakdown happening and we wonder if he's ever going to rally. That's one of his finest moments, but he really, really is terrific. Uh, the actress who's playing the Faye Dunaway role, Faye Dunaway got an Oscar for it for being this um, voracious, passion-filled person, passion for TV, not necessarily for people. But um, Faye Dunaway was magnificent in the movie, magnificent. The actress playing it here on Broadway is terrible. Uh, she has no passion whatsoever. And at the end of the show, when she has to have this, um, imagine, uh, um, um, I'm trying to use a euphemism for shit fit, but I can't find one. Anyway, uh, when she has this shit fit, um, I'm telling you, you, you almost say like, where did that come from? That's not who she is because she's never shown this type of uh, ferocity at all. Tony Goldwyn, I think is a little too young looking for the craggy man, uh, as, um, Max Schumacher has described. So, uh, let that be his consolation that he still looks terrific and he, he doesn't look like he's capable of a midnight a midlife crisis which indeed is what is happening here so um so but it really is worth seeing for brian cranston especially since uh, as i say he's not um phoning in a, a movie performance so um 
uh, it's it's certainly a worthwhile production. Um, and I really do feel that one of the most interesting things that happened was at the very end of the show. I'm going to be oblique here purposely. But anyway, let me say that at the end of the show, of course, people come out, they take their curtain call, they wave, they blow kisses to us, they leave. And we're all about to leave. And then we see something projected on the back uh, wall. And uh, I'm not going to say what it is. But I am going to say that when the second, there are seven clips. And when the second one occurs, we got what was coming. We understood what was coming. And as a result, nobody moved because everybody wanted to comment on clip six and clip seven. (laughs) And they certainly did. I I, I know I'm being terrible about this, but I want people to be surprised by what's going on here. And I will tell you by clip two, you will not be surprised. You will understand exactly where it's going and what's happening. But people didn't leave. They stayed. They wanted to make their voices heard because they're as mad as hell and they don't want to take this anymore. All right. Michael, what did you think? Well, first of all, I will maintain uh, the surprise of these those clips at the end that Peter is discussing, although I wish we could talk about it because, because well, and one reason I wish we could talk about it is um, I, as riveting as it was, I'm not sure what it has to do with the subject matter of the show. <laughs> But uh, except that, thank you, because I guess you you told me uh, it's the fact that there is one of those clips, at least, that does get a response similar to I'm mad as hell and I'm not going to take it anymore uh-huh. or this anymore. Um, so I guess that's why. Do you think that's why? There, I think that, so. That, yeah. Think okay. So. <laughs> Um, believe it or not, um, Network is another example of a movie that I n- never saw, even though it was incredibly famous. Uh, I have only seen the clip of Peter Finch uh, doing that that very famous quote. So I went in cold and, uh, you know, I could have I, I had time to prepare. I, I could have certainly gotten a copy of the, the movie before I saw the show, I'm, I'm, I'm sure. But I, I, you know, as I've said often, I, I, I like to go in uh cold in cases like this to see if I feel that the piece works on its own without any knowledge of the source material. And I would say uh, I agree with Peter that for uh, the most part it does. Brian Cranston is absolutely brilliant in it. Um, I think that it's a, it's a, it's a, incredibly intelligent and well-calibrated performance. He could have so easily gone over the top. Uh, I mean, the, the fellow is supposed to be at the end of his rope, Howard Beale. So there, there's a lot of latitude. Uh, I, I never felt that the performance was in any way out of control. Uh, so he did manage to show us this person who is, is really uh, kind of, kind of losing it. And at the end of his rope, uh, while maintaining control, and I think that's a really great achievement. I um, I sadly, sadly agree about Tatiana Maslany, who plays uh, what's her name, Diana. Mm-hmm. Yeah, mm-hmm. Um, yeah. I uh, and there again, I, I'm going into this cult, so I have no preconceptions of Faye Dunaway. I mean, I know who Faye Dunaway is. I know what she looks like. I, and I, I, you know, but I, I, I didn't not see the performance, so I'm not comparing it to that. It just didn't seem to me like she 
fit the role. Um, and also, I thought the acting was was really quite poor. And there are several other, uh, unfortunately, several other people in the cast. Uh, Joshua Boone, uh, Ron Canada, Julian uh, Elijah Martinez. I, they just didn't seem to me like they were those characters. They, they seem like actors doing a bad job of trying to be those characters. And uh, yes, I, I guess um, with Tony Goldwyn, uh, I mean, I'm sure that his actual age is is fine for that role. But he just has such a youthful uh, demeanor about him that he, he doesn't, I think, come across the way that he should in terms of the way that character functions in the whole narrative. Um, I thought that the video was quite brilliantly done, and it is so high-tech. I remarked to... Uh, actually, the friend I brought to see the show is, is very much into um, video and audio himself, he has his own studio where he produces videos and audios. Uh, and I remarked on the incredible high definition of the video. It's it's just so, so sharp. Um, I mean, in a way, it's anachronistic because uh, video in 1976 didn't look like that. <laughs> but, uh, but that's all right. I'm sure the audience is willing to forgive that in order to have um, this these really, really sharp clips, uh, or not clips, uh, the video transmission of, of what's actually happening on stage, uh, you know, as caught by camera people who are roaming all over the stage at, uh, throughout the show. Um, here's an interesting point. Um, I, I have heard that they have had to relabel and uh, reprice some of the seats because um, uh, many of the seats, I guess, on the extreme sides especially, would be considered partial view in terms of seeing the action actually happen on stage. Uh, you, I don't think you'll miss anything uh, in terms of, uh, because there is so much video, uh, anything that you don't actually see, you can't see happening on stage because it's too far stage right or stage left, uh, you will see on video. So you're not going to miss anything in that sense. But I, I guess there have been some complaints about uh, people not actually being able to see the actors. Um, so that is something that I heard uh, is is being addressed. Um, but by the way, Peter, I, I'm not sure, uh, just to clarify, I think uh, I, I, you may have said it opposite. The 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 restaurants, the, the dining area is, is yeah. stage left. And the, Oh, but I was going from the uh, vantage point of the audience. So house, house, house right. Yeah. 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 And but either way, uh, that's that's the part that you don't need to uh, pay any attention to. I, I am happy to say that um, that wasn't distracting at all. I, ha I had thought the idea of uh, people eating on stage during the show would be very distracting. But I guess it's because the lighting is so low uh, on them. And uh, also they are almost in the wings. I mean, it's really pretty far uh, stage left. So anyway, um, that's, that's what I felt. I, I, uh, I would love to see the movie now because, um, maybe it's because I found those actors so lacking the ones that I just mentioned, but to me, every subplot in the show, everything that didn't have to do with Howard Beale and the main plot of, uh, you know, television, uh, and how, you know, how, how it. uh, can control us and all of that. Uh, all of those subplots I found unbelievably boring. Um, poor, uh, 
Alyssa Bresnahan, who plays Schumacher's wife, she has a scene with him that I, I just couldn't wait for it to be over because I wasn't interested in them. So I don't know if I will find that to be the case in the in the movie as well. Um, but yes, uh, in closing, uh, Peter, thanks for quoting all of those. Uh, you, you, you caught so many of the lines that are just so unbelievably prescient. Uh, the uh, the one about um, the, the absolute belief it is it, it is chilling, and and just the whole the whole main subject of of TV news becoming more entertainment uh, than than news, which happened gradually, but now it's it's just I mean it, it's uh, to me it's it's really quite horrifying, and and that really is prescient I think because I'm not even sure I was trying to think of uh, whether that had already started to happen. Uh, when the movie of Network came out, and I, I, I guess the person who popped into my head was Geraldo Rivera. Uh, oh yeah, that's good. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, yeah, yeah he had started to be, uh, I guess, and, and I guess was maybe the first example of a, you know, uh, some a news quote unquote news person who started to make it all about him, um, and that that too happened gradually, and then it snowballed. So uh, it, you know, you put on TV news now, and with some exceptions. Well, more than some exceptions, but so much of it is just entertainment garbage, and it's just frightening. Mm -hmm. So uh, a few things uh, that I wanted to add on to what you said, and one of them is unrelated to the show. Um, maybe we can talk about Clip 6 and Clip 7, uh, which happened after the curtain call. We'll talk about it at BroadwayCon, maybe. We'll have to see okay. if it's still relevant by January, you know. <laughs> yes, in today's In today's media world, you know, it yes, might be stale right. this it morning already. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> the sooner um, the better. Yeah, go on. <laughs> <laughs> so every you know many people know i shouldn't say everybody knows many people know i'm a really big technology person and i'm really interested in technology and it's my life and things like that i found the large tv on the stage tremendously distracting and annoying oh uh and i thought that the technology part of it was absolutely amazing and cool absolutely but i i didn't come to the theater just to watch a television which distracts me immensely i find myself staring at the tv rather than the actors on the stage which is the antithesis of theater um and and it and it annoyed me but i i understand the metaphor now with that all said the uh, they made such a point of bringing uh, the this story as part of 1974, 1975, uh, and uh, and they, as Peter mentioned, showed old commercials and old this and right. old that and pictures of the Fords and uh, President Ford and uh, Ford cars as well <laughs> and things like that. But the technology did not exist at that point, but they showed on stage flat panel TVs and a very complex glass control room to the, sta to the stage right on the house left and all sorts of current technology implemented and the cameras that were on stage, all that stuff was, you know, light years away from 1975. Uh, so it, it didn't match. And if you had Lee Hall adapting it, you know, update the story to current times then rather than it, it didn't I, I didn't think it either needed to be mix and match uh the the design of the show did not match the 
period of the show, which is frustrating in, in many different aspects. Um, that whole walking outside thing, I think, was just a gimmick. Uh, yeah. It was totally a gimmick. Did it need to happen? You know, I, I feel like it's probably live. It doesn't look like it's pre recorded, but that could be. I don't a, know it's live. That could be um, a total disaster. Yeah. And, uh, go ahead, Michael. Well, and I don't think there was a Virgil's barbecue on that block in 1976. Yeah. Oh, good yeah. point. Exactly. Sure. Or head over heels. You know, you, you could see head over heels uh, uh, and marquee, but right? That won't, that won't be a problem much longer, but that's another yeah. story. And the whole branding of food work, which was the the cafe on the side of uh, stage left, was uh, also branded on the in the alleyway and outside the theater as well. And you saw it as they were coming in through the the alleyway. Uh, of the theater, I, I just thought it was it was gimmicky. It was unnecessary. Well, uh, uh, I think we should explain exactly what we're talking about. I th- uh, uh, there is a scene where actually uh, both uh, Diana and Max are out in the street in front of the Belasco Theater, walking down the street, um, and so that's <laughs> it's happening in real time. There's a, a videographer right there uh, watching them, uh, making us see them right then and there. And um, fifteen hundred gimmick. 1,500 paying people are sitting in an empty Broadway theater watching a screen of people outside. It... <laughs> so uh, anyway, the real bottom line of this uh, is that, uh, as I see it, you use gimmicky, and I, I don't disagree with that at all. Um, the word that came to me uh, was cute. And um, when I was writing books for teenagers, which I did for a while, I wrote one called Cute is Not a Compliment. So um, I'm with you. I don't think this is much of a a situation at all. Uh, So anyway. And my, yeah, my friend who I alluded to, the one who has a video studio, he was very, very bothered by the fact that the cameras looked so modern. And and then I mentioned, well, and I said, yeah, and I said, you know, as I I said before, the the quality of the video... Uh, that's that we see projected would in no way be any anywhere near what well this high 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 def image that we're seeing so uh, yes i i they could have and i i agree that they should have i think it would have actually made the um made the story all the more powerful if they had tried to uh more closely emulate the actual tech of the period they actually have in, in in the wings on stage right, they actually have a set where they've played scenes off of the stage, and we had to watch it on screens. I yeah, mean, I, yeah. It, it just it, it just seems like I'm uh, I, I'm I'm unsure of the the choices made in the design of this. Uh, the breaking of the the breaking of the fourth wall. Uh, where various scenes happened in the audience. Um, mm-hmm. I, I'm not sure that that was necessary. Uh, and I'm not sure if that's an Eva Van Hova thing or yeah. I, I, I don't know the movie at all. I, I, I have not seen the movie and I purposely stayed away from the movie um, uh, because I don't, I don't want to color it. Uh, Brian Cranston, I think that he's going to be, you know, much talked about in the spring. Oh, yeah. And, mm-hmm. you know, uh, yeah. I think that he could easily win the Tony Award, definitely get a do- nomination. I felt Tony Goldwyn 
uh, I really liked Tony Goldman. I thought he was just like you guys said, too young for this part, or looked too young for this part. I mean, <laughs> what Peter? What do you say? Uh, Let his, his youth, youth be his, his consolation. consolation. That's right. right. <laughs> exactly. Uh, and uh, certainly, again, I, I, I was in the situation where, uh, you know, um, my wife was just swooning over Tony Goldwyn. So certainly he is bringing uh, a, lot of, uh, a lot of people to the theater um, through his celebrity and good looks as well, and as, as well as his talent. So uh, that's Network. I, I uh, really liked I, I really liked it, despite the things that were right. said there. Um, interestingly, my wife really disliked it. And in fact, uh, we saw it Friday night and Saturday night at dinner, we were talking and she's like, the more I think about network, the more I really, really disliked it. And, and uh, so I was surprised about that, but I think that it's uh, right now scheduled for a limited run through March 17th, 2019. Uh, I probably think that that will extend the, the, place was packed when uh i went to see it on friday evening uh and i if they were to extend i don't think they'd have any problems selling tickets i don't know if anybody's got you know with with uh tatiana maslani and Tony goldwyn and brian cranston they could have film commitments or television commitments that i don't know about that they i have i have heard that a extension is about to be announced i'm not sure yeah. the, oh, good. the details yeah the last thing I wanted to mention about Network is that uh, it is two hours, no intermission. And I wanted to s- get your feedback and see what both of you thought about that. Uh, Peter, did, did, what do you think about that? Well, I'll tell you what really surprised me about this. Um, the, it's, the performance I attended was Saturday night at 7 o'clock. Mm-hmm. And uh, <laughs> so I said, all right, so it's three hours. You know, okay, fine. Um and uh, I saw no intermission. I thought, all right, three hours. Um, okay, what can you do? And it's just a tad under two hours. I don't know why you would do this to your uh, to Brian Cranston, who had to do a matinee that day and lost an hour of rest that he could have had. So that was my first observation on, on no intermission. Otherwise, I think it's a very smart idea not to have uh, an intermission in this play. Um, if I may be stretching the metaphor, but after all, TV never stops. Mm-hmm. And um, so I think that uh, may be one of the reasons why. Michael, what well. Well, I have some some uh, interesting things to throw in here. Uh, first of all, I guess Peter and I both saw Slave Play and Network on the same day, uh, Saturday the 8th. And both of those shows were two hours with no intermission. <laughs> um, so uh, it can be a little much. I, I mean, obviously, you have to prepare beforehand <laughs> in terms of visiting the facility. Uh uh, I don't think – other than that, I don't think that two hours is you know, is too much uh, to ask in terms of attention span. Um, but uh, Peter, what made you uh, think that P- uh, Network was three hours? Because they started at seven. Oh, I see. Well, there – the other interesting thing I have to add is I have it on good authority that it is expressly at the request of Brian Cranston that all of the evening shows are at 7 p.m. Huh? Why wow. – why I do not know. Maybe he he wants to just get home early. I'm not sure where he lives. Uh, <laughs> uh, but yes, I I think that I can say on on fairly good authority that 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 is what I heard. Hmm. So uh, two hours, no intermission. Um, I, I I sort of felt like 
I'm not sure that it would have lost anything to have a break in the middle, and uh, and where would the natural break have been? I'm not sure. Uh, but there it is. Uh, so I just wanted to hear from both of you about that. Next up, uh, the three of us got a chance to see the Share Show over at the Neil Steinman. So, Michael, why don't you start us off with the Share Show? The three of us got a chance to see the Share Show in which there are three shares. Uh, <laughs> because that uh, seems to be the, the new thing. Yeah. Uh, when you do a biomusical, you have uh, three, not two, but three uh, performers playing the central celebrity. Uh, it happened with summer and it's happening with the share show and and have i not heard that it also is the case in tina the tina music i think, so. Is it? I is think it? so that's what i think uh, i think so uh i think there's at least one other one anyway uh this the share show i am very happy to say i liked a lot more than i expected to i had lots of preconceptions based on whatever <laughs> and uh but i i thought that for the most part, it was very, very enjoyable and worked really well. Um, I let me say that I I do think that one of the three shares um, is miscast, and that would be that would be Till Wicks, who plays the the incarnation of share that's called lady um please don't misunderstand me it's nothing to do with talent she has a great voice and i think her, her acting is fine too it's just i don't know it seems like body type and personality um uh and also uh her facial features are not remotely like shares. Uh, whereas the other two people, uh, to me, they, they really bear qu quite a strong resemblance to share. And that would be Michaela diamond as babe and the fabulous Stephanie J block as star, uh, Stephanie J block, as you may have heard or read, has gotten unqualified raves for her performance in the share show. Uh, even it seems people who really dislike the show overall, uh, even they, uh, everyone I've read anyway, every review I've read, every, every person I've spoken to just thinks she's absolutely fabulous. And I completely, completely agree. She, um, interestingly, uh, she, she has the essence of share from, from the beginning of the show. Um, at the, at the very beginning, for whatever reason, I didn't think she looked especially like her, but uh, so maybe and maybe it was the wig or maybe it was the makeup. But at some point about halfway through, she suddenly looked so much like Cher that I turned to my friend and said, oh, my God, she looks just like her. And he and he said, yeah, I have to keep squinting to to make sure that it's not the real thing. We thought maybe like Cher had actually come on stage because she has been in town uh, lately, you know, in connection with the show because she is an actual producer of it. But no, it was it was the fabulous Stephanie J. Block, um, who, by the way, parenthetically, uh, is one of the stars of a really great new recording of Brigadoon uh, that has been released. This is the City Center production that was done last year uh, for a very brief run. Uh, Stephanie plays Meg Brocky in that. And, uh, and it, 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 you know, to listen to that um, and then go see the share show is, is, is a great testament to her versatility and talent because the, the roles could not be more 
different. Uh, so uh, pick up that recording if you can. It's it's on uh, Ghostlight Records, and it's really great. But back to the share show. Um, I thought that it started out really well. The first ten or fifteen minutes, I thoroughly enjoyed, and I and I was happy and 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 completely prepared to say, oh, you know, people who don't like this don't know what they're talking about, and they should just lighten up. This is a great show. Um, I I have to say, as it went on, uh, some of it. Uh, I could see why uh, people had negative reactions. I think that some of the book scenes by Rick Ellis were really not well written, um, including uh, all of the scenes with Cher's uh, husbands and lovers, uh, Sonny Bono, Greg Allman, and uh, Rob Camaletti. Uh, they they all just seemed very soap opera-ish and 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 cliched and, and really not well-written at all. And I think that they brought down the show quite a lot. Um, I, uh, uh, yeah, I, I, um, I had read that when this show, uh, had its pre-Broadway run in Chicago, wasn't it? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, that the original concept was that the whole thing would be done as a TV special, uh, which, uh, interestingly enough, was was sort of the concept of Catch Me If You Can. Yeah. And a lot of people feel it didn't work there either. Mm-hmm. Uh, I guess it was decided it did not work for the share show. And so it was largely abandoned, but not completely. So you have um, incredibly weird artifacts of that, like the fact that her uh, her meeting with her hook up with Greg Allman is portrayed as if it's happening uh, in a in a sketch on a TV show that's set in a Wild West saloon. Um, wh- why they kept that is is beyond me. Uh, I guess maybe they didn't have time to to change it and get a new set, but I don't know if that's a good reason to keep it. Um, that that was weird. I uh, so I, I felt like in the middle of it that that the show lagged a lot in terms of those those scenes those book scenes being so poorly written but fortunately uh uh the choreography by christopher gatelli and the the staging of the musical numbers and all of that uh i think was was very very well done and I think that uh it it, it kept getting the audience back and and at the end of the show uh was was a real was a real, real crowd pleaser. Everyone seemed to pretty much love it in general. Um, so I, I, it will be interesting to see uh, how it does because the, I guess the reviews were very, very mixed to negative. Uh, so we shall see. All right, Peter, what'd you think? Um, I didn't see very many reviews on this show and I'm just wondering, did any critic or all the critics say, um, because there were three shares that we're dealing with share and share alike? <laughs> no, I didn't see any of that, but that's great. Share and share and share alike. <laughs> right. <laughs> I'm wondering how many non-theater goers, which is the ideal audience for this show, will be furious after they buy their tickets and sit down and discover shares not in it. I think the share show is a very misleading title. Yes. Uh, maybe enough word is spread by now so everybody who attends it uh, knows that three actresses are playing her. But uh, And it's funny, when the three actresses are playing, somehow, in a strange way, she almost comes across as a benign sibyl. Uh, but uh, <laughs> anyway, um, yeah, Babe, I'm surprised they called her Babe. I understand the big hit, I've Got You, Babe. But, um, you know, Babe and Lady, a term 
problems that <laughs> that um, sort of uh, have passed passed us by. Um, and uh, so uh, I'm surprised they use that. But anyway, um, there's no problem with the other name, Star, because yes, um, Stephanie J. Block is phenomenal in the role, mm-hmm. and actually. Um, she may win a Tony anyway, but I guarantee you that if they had let her do the entire show and didn't have this um, triptych feel to it, that she would win the Tony because she really is sensational. Um, but, you know, again, she's not Cher. Um, so um, I think the show about Cher would have been a more apt title. All right, fine. Um yeah, uh, th- th- this is the type of show where exposition happens, where somebody says, it's been a heck of a year, you know, I mean, so, um, uh, so that does happen. Um, but one of the things that really is um, surprising to me about Rick Elise um, is that uh, it's Ellis, right? Now that I think it was somebody. Ellis. Said, yeah, you told me that. I remember that now. Anyway, um, one of the first things you learn in playwriting school is show, don't tell. And there are scenes where Cher complains to Sonny, uh, you ruined my birthday party some time ago, you know, and uh, that thing that happened on Mother's Day. You know? Well, let's see those scenes. I mean, why are you telling us about this? That would really pack a wallop. Um, and I'm surprised that that happened. I also have to say, and I may be overreacting about this, and I'll accept that. But I was very surprised to hear not one, not two, not three, but four lines that struck me as homophobic. And um, I would oh. think that uh, you didn't get that, huh, Michael? Okay. Uh, not offhand, the reminder. All right. All right. Um, but um, there was a story about flamboyant men and things like that. I mean, they approach homophobia is the way I should say them. But I would think that um, gay men would be um, inherently interested in this show. Uh, and some would anyway, and uh, many. And uh, I was surprised to hear these lines. But, Michael, if you didn't pick up on that, then um, I'll concede that uh, I may be over- overreacting about that. Um I, I was surprised, too, to uh, hear that there was no reference at all to chastity becoming Chaz. Now, you, uh, some people have said, well, that's a story in itself. But God almighty, you know, this has to be one of the most dramatic things that can happen in any parent's life when your kid comes to you and says, I want to change my sex. That's dramatic. I, to, to not mention it at all to me is, is very surprising. I was also surprised not to hear um, more information on Cher's um, attempt, first Broadway attempt, when she appeared and come back to the five and dine Jimmy Dean, Jimmy Dean, which is the title is not mentioned. Robert Altman, the director, does come on. Hmm. And at this point, we learn that Cher is dyslexic. Now, that struck me the wrong way because I thought, whoa, you know, was she saying it now? Why didn't we see a scene when she was in grammar school and we learned about that? Well, Mm -hmm. doing research, I did find that she did not know she was dyslexic until she was 30. And she's 35 when the play is being done. So that's okay. However, it would have been better if indeed we saw her struggling um, with words and sentences when she was in grammar school and establishing that she couldn't read then as opposed to have her later saying, I'm dyslexic. Mm -hmm. So uh, it would have been um, a much stronger um, situation if that had happened. Well, and jukebox musicals are all about the songs of yesteryear anyway. I mean, most baby boomers are going to leave the theater with glows on their faces and warmth in their voices when they say to their fellow attendees, good to hear the old songs again, wasn't it? And that's what these things are all about. You know, what, what occurred to me for the first time, it, it hadn't occurred to me till I saw this show, though it could have occurred to me during Jersey Boys or Beautiful or Summer or uh, any of the others that have cropped up that I'm forgetting right now because they were forgettable. But... 
you know, in the 40s, well, let's put it this way. We've, we've made a big deal about the fact, gee, so many musicals are adapted from movies now. The movies. As there every, I'm seeing Clueless tonight, okay? So another movie being made into a musical. My God, will it ever stop? And again, as I've often said, I don't care that they're made from movies. I just want them to be good. But in a way, it's kind of interesting that, in the '40s, Hollywood was doing was doing all these musicals biographies of both composers and performers, and here we are again. Broadway is following suit many years later, doing what the movies did way back when. So I found that uh, it's kind of interesting, and never it never really occurred to me before. But that's uh, what's going on now. So. Um, I, uh, Jared Spector playing, uh, which is kind of interesting because Phil Spector is a character, but Jared Spector is the name of the actor who plays Sonny, uh, has a very don't take me seriously attitude when he's uh, on stage. But um, there is drama here because we find out that, uh, well, let me put it this way. Um, my my uh, girlfriend, Linda, who uh, was writing for Red Book and interviewed Cher, said she was so glad when Cher gave her the quotation, Sonny treated me like a plantation slave. And uh, she said she was so disappointed when every other article she read um, about Cher, Cher would say that. That was her uh, go-to line, her default line, uh, talking about Sonny. And that that is verified here um, that indeed um, he uh, made her sign contracts that um, she shouldn't be signing. And again, if it had been established that she was dyslexic as a kid, we could see why she wasn't reading the contracts. That it would be too much for her. Excellent she, point. You know, Excellent point. Yeah. She she would have signed the contracts because oh uh, this is too much. So um, anyway, uh, yeah, he really. Um, Ninety-five percent, and the lawyer, the five percent, and he's always said, "I will take care of you." Well, that's not good enough. That's not good enough. She's the meal ticket, really, and as a result, it shouldn't be happening that way. Uh, but we don't get enough reason. In a way, she looks naive and stupid for not reading the contracts, and the um, and the dyslexia would have been a very good reason why. So, uh, uh, back to come back to the five and nine, Jimmy Dean, Jimmy Dean. They don't establish the show was a quick failure, and I'm so I'm so surprised that they didn't. By the way, I think that play has one of the best first acts in the history of theater. <laughs> but um, anyway, it, it doesn't really hold as well for the other two. But anyway, I really thought it got a bad deal. It only lasted about a month or two uh, back then. But um, they don't really indicate that. They really indicate that an, a better opportunity came along. So um, so that's kind of fictional as well. Um, but again, it doesn't matter. You know, like many musicals of today, you know, this this is really a show that's meant to replicate a rock concert. You know, as soon as the house lights go down, attendees cheer and they clap hands uh, because an audience weaned on everyone from the Stones to um, semi-precious weapons uh, is used to applauding even before the performance do a damn thing. It's sort of like a sonic lifetime achievement award that they get um and you know there are video screens so the people in the faraway seats can see what's going on the way they do at rock shows so um so there's that uh Triple threats, you don't need them for this show. Um, yes, shares have to sing. Yes, they have to act. But they don't have to dance because um, the choreography has a lot of backup dancers doing very perfunctory choreography. But it's right for the TV shows of yore when that used to happen, um, when there were variety shows. They, the choreography was um, just uh, window dressing more than anything else. Emily Skinner plays her mother. 
plays her very well. It's established early on that um, she has to console her daughter for being a half-breed. Um, I don't know when being an Armenian-American certified that you were a half-breed, but I do believe that uh, this was said so that we could get in that famous 1973 <laughs> song. So, um, so she's terrific as the mother. However... I'm sorry to say that she must play Lucille Ball, too. Lucille Ball, who, after all, knew about a bad marriage and um, um, with, a, with a guy who uh, certainly pulled the strings, uh, certainly has advice for Cher. And I maintain that if you went to the restroom just before Emily Skinner came on as Lucy and you came back and your seatmate said to you, who do you think that is up there? You would never guess Lucy. There's not a moment that she seems like Lucille Ball to me. Um, so that to me was really problematic. And if I were the director, um, uh, Jason uh, Moore, who did a terrific job, by the way, in keeping everything slick and moving, terrific job, I would have cast somebody who was a Lucy impersonator first uh, because that's the hard part. And I imagine a Lucy impersonator, by and large, could play the mother too. So, um, so. Uh, Emily Skinner, who's really wonderful um, all the time, um, just can't get that type of reaction. Um, everybody's talking about Bob Mackey's costumes, and I'm going to be interested to see if the awards committees say um, if he's eligible. I mean, in, in recent years, we've had plays like Three Tall Women and Lobby Hero and Chitney and Blackbird come to Broadway, and they haven't been considered new plays because they were produced uh, uh, sometimes decades before and sometimes years before. So the same type of thing applies here as far as I'm concerned with the costumes. Many of the costumes costumes are costumes that Cher wore uh, in years ago, uh, including her famous Oscar outfit um, when she won her Oscar for Moonstruck. So I don't think the costume should be eligible, um, considering so many of them are, uh, you should pardon the expression, revivals. So um, uh, you know, look, if it all seems very Las Vegas, well, you know, all right, why should a locale defined entertainment? Um, you know, tourists who have been to Vegas and those who can't travel there, um, can get the experience on West 52nd Street, you know. So, yeah, summer, summer will be leaving the Lunfontaine just as winter begins. But I think the Cher Show may be a musical for many more seasons. Hmm. All right. So uh, my take on Cher, I want to talk about Rickalise for a, a minute. And it seemed like uh, he was using the structure of Jersey Boys as a way in which to recreate uh, having lightning strike twice. Did you guys feel that way? Uh, well, again, uh, I'm, I'm pretty Ellis. sure it's Ellis. Ellis. Yeah. I, I, don't know. I, I, I keep, I keep I know, making that mistake. It reads keep... as Elise. It yeah. just does. Yeah, so, sure. Yeah. 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 So Rick, well, I, yeah. I, I mean, my thought was he, he, he did such a, a great job with Jersey Boys yeah, that I that I was surprised that that uh, some of the scenes in Share anywhere were were so clunky and so poorly written. But that may be a vestige of this um, this TV special idea concept that I mentioned, uh, which was probably a bad idea to begin with that they couldn't completely eradicate. Hmm. So. Uh... Uh, yeah, I was I was disappointed about about that because it the structure and the way in which they did that led to uh, some songs, you know, being cut off. And granted, if you did not do that, the show would be unwieldy long, uh, you know. Uh, right. And just to uh, also talk about something that uh, Peter brought up about Cher not being in the show. 
uh, uh, it's all over their website that she's not in the show. It's a reminder to people going to buy the tickets that she's not in the show. And if you call up for tickets on on telecharge, they tell you they remind you. Tell that you she, that yeah, really that she's oh, not how in the interesting. show. Yeah, but, so, uh, but as of last week, someone asked me. Now I don't understand. Is she in the show? Yeah, sure. Mm, yeah. So, so, uh, so it's. Uh, I mean, I'm, that's really great that they are being so clear about it. But, uh, you know, uh, I, yeah. I guess for all the reasons mentioned, the confusion is understandable. No, especially when you see things like Bruce Springsteen on Broadway. You know, sure. Yeah, uh, sure. You, you expect to see Bruce Springsteen and and folks that went to go see the Donna Summer show and expect to see Donna Summer, I would say that they are not so much fans because she passed away. Yeah, so <laughs> um but that's not the case for that. Uh total tangent here. Uh did you happen to notice when you went to see the show that there is an usher who looks like Cher? No. No. House fright. She looked. I, people were every time she walked up and down the aisle. People were like, "Is that her? Is it?" Is it, her? <laughs> it was very interesting. So uh, I think that the thing about the share show is, if you are a fan of share, go see the show, and if you are a traditional fan of Broadway and only have a passing interest in share, you should probably skip this one. So. Uh, that's a that's the share show when it's got it's open ended at the Neil Simon Theater on Fifty Second Street, and uh, that's it for right now. Um, next up, uh, Peter and Michael got down to New York Theater Workshop to see the Slave Play. So uh, Peter, why don't you t- start us off with that? Well, uh, I'm a big um, uh, objector to anachronisms. So as a result, as the first scene of this play unfolded, I was uh, upset. Uh, mm-hmm. As it takes place, um, uh, as the title implies, slave play um, during slave times, and we see the master with his whip um, really uh, being not so nice to a slave girl uh, who seems to be interested in having sex with him, which was a little surprising to me. Okay, no anachronisms there. However, um, the next couple that we see, uh, this high toned, uh, elegant lady uh, with her. Um, black uh, male slave, and she pulls out a sex toy, um, a rather prodigious sex toy, and um, and they will have sex with that. And I'm thinking, come on, there weren't these sex toys uh, back then. What are you doing? Then the third couple is a gay couple, gay male couple, and they, they strip down to their underwear, which each of them, it says Calvin Klein, you know, and again, was supposed to be uh, way back in the 1840s, 50s, whatever, who knows. No, <laughs> as it turns out, uh, <laughs> we're not anachronistic at all. No. What's going on here is something entirely different, and I don't want to spoil the surprise, but, uh, gee, I wonder if I can get away with this, not spoiling the surprise, because I want to talk about the fact that, uh, all right, let's 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 go for it. Um, as it turns out, this is all role-playing, and uh, they're part of a, a study that they volunteered for to um, be uh, t- to get their sex lives being better. And um, there are two therapists uh, who are hilariously wonderful as therapists who are um, unctuous and um, just the type who uh, try to make everything seem like everything's terrific. And the, the, the language that... Uh, um, 
that Jeremy O'Harris uh, uses is is just perfect. Uh, <laughs> and what's really wonderful too, which I was crazy about, the two actresses playing the therapist, Chalia Latour and Irene Sofia Lucio, their hands, uh, the gesture of their hands indicating that everything is all right, I think was uh, would be worth the price of admission. So, um, so it does get into a very interesting session, um, a fascinating one, in fact, uh, where people come out with their real feelings about what happens during role play. And um, it, it becomes a pretty hot show under those circumstances. But there's a lot of truth here. And, you know, sexuality is a very difficult thing to portray on stage and talking about it too because um you know it's one thing to be in your own home and uh you know go on the internet and enjoy yourself but um as as avenue q taught us a long time ago not that we didn't know it before then but anyway um double click you know i mean but here you know you're you're with other people and uh you're surrounded and uh you know your reactions give yourself away if you if you react too much if you laugh too much or nervous laughter or what have you but um it's it's a very very powerful show i think it's extraordinarily clever and i enjoyed it immeasurably and the people in it are really quite wonderful sullivan jones uh plays that um, a black slave who was um, who uh, with the um, white uh, high-toned woman played by Annie McNamara, and um, he's really vainglorious. I mean, he knows he's a terrific specimen of manhood, and um, the dialogue has him reiterate that. Uh, so uh, he's very well cast in the role, and he's very uh, uh, impressive in it. Everybody else is very good, too. Um, I think this is a very worthwhile project, and it's extraordinarily subtle, even though it deals with so many things that uh, bubble right up to the surface. So I liked Slave Play a lot. All right, Michael, what did you think? Yeah, I really, really liked it, too. Uh, and uh Thanks for uh, I'm glad Peter, uh, you know, <laughs> spilled the beans after warning people, uh, you know, if you, you know, if you well, if you've gotten this far, yeah, uh, you know, but but if if you yeah, if you retroactively don't want it, spoiled, you know, I mean, you had your warning. So so uh, I, I'm going to continue. Uh, I I really loved that I did not know what the hell was going on at the beginning. Uh, actually, Peter, even that very first scene does have an anachronism because suddenly we hear that music, that modern music and that she starts to dance to when the, when the massa comes in. Um, so I thought, well, you know, is this just supposed to be a postmodern uh, depiction of something that's actually supposed to be happening on a slave plantation during, you know, during slave times. Um, that that was my first thought of what it was. Then I thought, you know, then all these other things started happening that you mentioned, and I thought, um, is it an acting class, huh? <laughs> uh, it, it, or is it, you know, I, I it really took. A while. Um, I mean, I guess not till they they actually made it crystal mm, clear right. that it was a, a therapy session. And I love that about this that I that it kept you guessing and and very very intrigued. Um, uh, by the way, uh, as Peter mentioned, the the playwright is Jeremy O. Harris. That's O. Period. Uh, the director is Robert O'Hara. Mm -hmm. That's Robert O. Apostrophe <laughs> Hara. Uh, so I just wanted to mention those two. Uh, the the cast is phenomenal. Uh, 
James Kusadi Moyer, um, who had not necessarily impressed me in some previous shows, uh, is terrific as this uh, character named Dustin. Uh, he's part of a, a gay male couple, an interracial gay male couple that's participating in the study. And um, Paul Alexander Nolan, who has been a guest on our podcast, is just great uh, doing two completely different uh, dialects, accents. Uh, he does the full-on, uh, you know, s- s- southern cracker kind of accent like this. Uh, and then it turns out that his actual character, the mm. one who's participating in the therapy, is British. <laughs> and he does that one brilliantly, too, uh, despite the fact that he is neither British nor southern. He's Canadian. So... Um, he he deserves a, a lot of credit for that. He also looks amazing on stage, uh, which fits in very well uh, with what's going on in, in the story. I, I thought this was one of the most creative and thought-provoking plays I've seen in a very long time. Uh, I thought the subject matter is, is fascinating to begin with, and it was so well handled. I, I thought there was a point, um, I guess the the... the third quarter of the play i thought it started to go on too long uh it just seemed like it had reached the point of maybe diminishing returns but then the final scene um between uh paul alexander nolan and tiona tiona paris uh was uh, was um certainly uh well i mean uh, i have to uh, tell you uh whether this is a, a a deterrent or the opposite there is a very very graphic sex scene uh but aside from the sex that you that you see simulated what's going on psychologically in that scene is extremely extremely intense and powerful so that really uh obliterated any sense that I had that the play had started to go off the rails a little bit. I, I think it's, it's really great. And I think it'll maybe hopefully uh, have another life. Uh, certainly will probably be extended if that's possible at New York theater workshop. I think everyone is going to be talking about this play. Mm-hmm. All right. So this is scheduled through December 30th. Uh, and um, this uh, play sort of um, forced out what the Constitution means to me from New York Theater Workshop, um, but there That's is... That's okay, because it's that went elsewhere. So. Yeah, right. New York yeah. Theater Workshop uh, uh, helped move what the Constitution means to me to another house, and there is talk about, with the early closing of Torch Song, that what the Constitution means to me might end up oh, in the oh, oh, So that might be really interesting uh, if that all comes to fruition. Okay, Peter, you saw Eve's song down at the public, and we uh, chatted about it, about the uh, canceled performances, and it has actually closed at the public, but uh, tell us what you thought. Well, uh, that's why I wanted to speak about it, uh, because um, this was certainly the most snake bit show of uh, perhaps my lifetime, because I was supposed to go um, a couple of weeks ago and performance was canceled. Then I was supposed to go again. The performance was canceled. And the day after I went. Uh, the performance was canceled as well. So um, I was very, I feel very fortunate to have seen it because um, I think Patricia Ione Lloyd has really, really done a tremendous job with this play because it's wonderfully metaphorical. It deals with a, an upscale 
black family. Granted, the husband has left uh, his wife, but the mother um, and her grown daughter and grown son are every night they sit at the table and how was your day today? And they're very formal. They have cloth napkins, which they all fluff at the same time before putting on their laps. And uh, it's all very... um, high toned to the point at which when you're done, you have to push your tape, uh, chair back under the table, all that kind of stuff. Manners are very important to this woman. And, um, well, uh, we are talking about a black family here. And the point is that the playwright makes so wonderfully, uh, is that no matter how gentrified you are, when it comes to the population at large, you are still a black family. And as a result, you don't get the benefit of the doubt. Uh, of of who you are or what you are. What happens to this mother is really literally criminal and uh, truly horrible, that for all her efforts to make her family uh, rise in the world, it isn't easy. It never will be easy, the playwright is suggesting, that there will always be this barrier because of this color of skin. And so I really thought it was tremendously effective. I, I would have liked to see Deidre Aziza in the role. I didn't. Um, uh, the playwright was the one who uh, took over and um, did a fine job under the circumstances. But um, we're also dealing with a situation of um, a lesbian love affair. And uh, that's not easy uh, in, in, um, for parents or, or, or in black society either. Um, so, And Ashley D. Kelly is terrific as an out there uh, lesbian who uh, certainly doesn't apologize for anything that she does ever in her life in any way, shape, or form, uh, to the point of obnoxiousness. But uh, still, uh, she has a great influence, a great influence on um, the the woman who uh, she's romancing. So we don't get much to know about Carl Green, um, Carl Green's character uh, who plays the son. We don't get to know much about him at all. He's the only guy in the cast. And... Um, but uh, the little we do know uh, rings true as well. Anyway, yes, it's closed. Yes, it's gone. But I really hope this play gets a second chance because it's so wonderfully effective in the way that it unfolds, that you don't know where it's going. You don't know what it's getting at for a while. And then it has that wonderful moment of alignment when you say, I get it. I mm. get it. And so um, uh, it must be such a dispiriting experience for um, Ms. Lloyd to have to to be so near yet so far to to get a, pu- a production at the public theater terrifically directed by Joe Bonney and then to have it all fall apart because of illness or whatever uh, happened it's it's just so sad uh, because this was obviously her big chance and I hope she gets a second one yeah I mean I I did read about multiple cancellations I'm I'm still not clear and I guess you aren't either if it was I'm always not. if it was always the same person Right I get the impression in fact it wasn't um but that's only an impression I got it mm. doesn't mean I'm right Unfortunate mm. It just goes to show you that um this this business of show is all about <laughs> a a combination of talent and luck and well, circumstance and everything all happens at once you know we we have all seen uh shows that were like how in the world does, did this ever get presented and then there are shows that uh we have seen that have not made it to broadway or not been recognized and and we say how could this not have been 
mm. the Tony Award winner or mm. the, the mm. huge run that it deserved. So, Also, I think, you know, I used I, I think I have a good general knowledge of how the theater works in terms of the rules and everything. But I uh, and I, I thought that that uh, once a show opened, that they were required to have understudies, even for off Broadway. I am told that's not true. Mm. Yeah, it all depends upon the contract that they're on. Contract, yeah. You yeah. know, and, and, you know, that's a whole minefield yeah. <laughs> yeah. as well. Right. All right. So before we wrap up for the today and get on to our trivia, I want to remind everybody that you could subscribe to these broadcasts and go to the front page of BroadwayRadio.com to subscribe. There's a subscribe link there. That way, each and every time we have a new episode of This Week on Broadway, it'll be automatically downloaded to Apple Podcasts for you. Of course, you don't have to listen to an Apple Podcast. You can listen to it as many ways. Our Heart Radio plays us. Tune in, Stitcher, Google Play, anywhere that you can listen to find our podcast, you can get Broadway Radio's offerings. Contact information for Peter, for Michael, and for me are found in the show notes of Broadway Radio, as well as links to some of the things we've talked about today. So, Peter, do you have an answer to last week's trivia? Yeah, um, I have to say of all the questions I've ever asked, uh, this is the one I'm, of which I'm most ashamed because <laughs> I, th- I thought this one was really impossible and nobody got it. And I, I don't blame anybody for not getting it because it's just impossible. All right. So the question was, a Tony winning musical opened with a song that had decades before been one of the first Oscar nominees for best song. What's the song and what's the musical? All right. Well, despite the fact that Love in Bloom does not open the original (laughs) cast album of Two Gentlemen of Verona, that's how the show started. The character named Thurio came out and sang this song that had been nominated at Best Song in 1934, the very first time that award was given, by the way, in a film called She Loves Me Not. And um, this happened because somebody on Facebook uh, showed the sheet music cover the other day, and I thought, wow, you know, uh, Two Gentlemen of Verona, you know, and again, unless you had been there. I'm not even sure they did it when it was revived in the park, if they started that way, but believe me, and you have to trust me, because, <laughs> again, there's no record of this, um, Love and Bloom did open um, Two Gentlemen of Verona back in 1971. All right, new question. For the last few years, we've heard people complain about Baby It's Cold Outside for the line, <laughs> say, what's in this drink? Mm which is silly because there's nothing in the drink. The woman knows there's nothing in the drink, and she knows the man did nothing with that drink. She's just playfully, yes, playfully using it as an excuse for what she wants to do with him later, pretending that the drink and not her lust is making her succumb to his charms. Wait a minute, you're saying. I thought this was going to be a trivia question, not an editorial. All right, fine. (laughs) Here's the question. Baby is Cold Outside comes from a film whose name is mentioned in an 80s Broadway musical. What's the name of the film? That's easy. The musical and the song that mentions the name of the film from which Baby It's Cold Outside comes. All right. So if you have an answer to that, Brigadude, I'm talking to you. Uh, (laughs) Email us at TriviaBroadwayRadio.com, and we'll let you know if you're on the right track. So on behalf of Michael Portantier and Peter Felicia, this is James Marino saying thanks so much for listening to Broadway Radio's This Week on Broadway. Bye-bye. My sister will be suspicious. My brother will be there at the door. My maiden aunt's mind is vicious. Your lips are delicious. Well, maybe just a cigarette more. Never such a blizzard before. I gotta get but home. But baby, you would freeze out there. 
Say, lend me a call. It's up to your knees out there. You've really been grand, but don't you see? At least there will be plenty implied. If you caught pneumonia and I died, really can't get stay. over that old guy, oh, 